Today's podcast is brought to you in part by Manning Publications. If you use the discount code YTFisher at checkout, you'll get 40% off my Docker in Motion course. It is five and a half hours long and it teaches the fundamentals of Docker. Go to howtocowell.net forward slash Docker in Motion to get my course or other video courses and books from Manning Publications. Link in the description below. Hello coders and welcome to another How to Code Well podcast. Today we're going to be talking about pair programming and I have the pleasure of being joined by Ben Orenstein. Hi Ben, how's it going? Have you had a good week so far? Uh, can't complain. Things are going well. Awesome. Awesome. Whereabouts in the world are you at the moment? I am at a kitchen table, which is in a city of uh, Somerville, which is outside of Boston. Oh, lovely, 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 lovely. Okay, so let's uh, let's get into your background. How did you get into coding? I think the first code I ever saw um, was Gorilla.bas on a MS DOS machine, uh, <laughs> which is like this like game that I think some people were maybe aware of, like throwing explosive bananas at each other. It's like a really simple QBasic game that came with uh, the computer that I was playing with at the time when I was, I don't know, nine or ten maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I didn't, I definitely did not understand what was going on, but I, I did like go in there and like tweak some variables and like change gravity and was like, oh, I can see that I changed this number here and then the game behaves differently. And cool. I think that was the very, I, I guess you could call that programming. Um, and so that was kind of my first exposure to it. Awesome. So that was at a very young age. It, it was, yeah. was programming something that you always wanted to do? No, I didn't even, well, so first of all, I didn't even really know that was programming at the point. Um, and I didn't know quite, all, all I knew was that I loved computers. Like my, my dad was in high tech and so he brought home a computer when I was really young and I just like was instantly obsessed with the thing. And so, um, I was fortunate enough to have gotten obsessed with a thing that turns out you can make a career of, Yeah. but it was not calculated. It was just like, this thing is super cool. How do I play with this thing all the time? And it turned out uh, you can play with it all the time as an adult, um, and they'll pay you for it, and that's called programming. <laughs> awesome. So, what did you what did you do before programming? Um, well, I, I took a bit of a winding path to get where I am today. Mm-hmm. So, I, when I actually uh, did not graduate college, I went to, to school for computer science, uh, but was a bit of an academic mess. I was a very immature student, and so I did not graduate. And so my, my first job out of college was actually uh, as a bartender at the Olive Garden. Nice. So not not the most glamorous of starts. Right. Uh, but I basically kept teaching myself things on the side. So I uh, started like slowly started upgrading my job to like more and more of a tech thing. Started off with some IT consulting, eventually landed an intro uh, programming job and uh, taught myself enough Ruby uh, on the weekends to finally get a job um, writing Ruby on Rails which is when I, when my career really kind of like started moving more in the direction I wanted it to. Cool. And how did you, how did you uh, pin down the Ruby as a language um, compared to the other languages? How did you pin that down? Well, it was actually kind of random-ish. Um, so I was, I had taken some programming classes and they were all in C. Right. Uh, so like pretty, pr- quite low level. And like like you're like you're you're allocating memory of certain sizes and you know iterating through it manually and freeing it afterwards and all this and then um i had been i think assigned to read the book um what's it called the pragmatic programmer mm-hmm. which is a wonderful book um and the authors had written this other book 
uh, called like the Ruby programming language or something like that. Mm-hmm. And this was a long time. This is probably 2003, maybe, mm-hmm. or even two, uh, that I picked this up. So like Ruby was not even, it was not popular at all. Mm-hmm. I don't think Rails existed at this point, or if it did, I it was not near, it wasn't like at all a big deal. Um, and But I remember seeing how you looped through a collection of things and like printed out each one of them. And I was like completely shocked. I was just like, where's, where's all the code? Like it was like, you know, like, you know, list dot each puts X or something. And I remember just being like, but like, where's the index? And like, where are you like keeping track of where the end of the array is? Mm-hmm. And where are you incrementing each time? And I was just like completely flummoxed and blown away. Um, at like the, the difference in expressiveness between C and Ruby. Mm-hmm. And so um, I played around with it a little bit and was like shocked and <laughs> enthralled. But also um, there was not really a practical path to like writing Ruby for money at that point. Mm-hmm. So it kind of like went on the back shelf for me for a while. Uh, and I didn't come back to it uh, until some years later when uh, this like killer app of Ruby on Rails appeared. Awesome. Oh, that's a, that's an interesting story. I mean, ha- have you always been, uh, uh, you know, Ruby as the core? Is that that, that always been where, what you've been doing? Um, I, I've definitely written far more Ruby than anything else. Right. Uh, right. I have experimented uh, sometimes in depth with, with other languages, mm-hmm. uh, but that's that's kind of been my my main uh, Swiss Army knife, I guess. Lovely. And you're you're would you say you're firmly in the in the backend camp rather than the JavaScript oh, yes. world? Yeah. Yeah, um, I am. If I cared more, I would say I'm embarrassingly ignorant of JavaScript. Uh, but I guess I'm more like happily, uh, satisfiedly uh, ignorant of JavaScript. Uh, I get that people like it, and I get that it's important for certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it tends to be a little bit over-prescribed, let's say. Okay. Uh, perhaps overused. Um, it's not my favorite language, um, so I'm I'm pretty happy uh, sticking to the back end. Sweet. Sweet. Well, you know, stick in the comfort zone. It's a it's a good place to be, right? <laughs> have you have you played around with like um, databases and, and other bits and pieces like that? The, you know, infrastructure type stuff. Um, I mean, I've used a lot of database. I mean, I've used a database in like most of the things I've built. Mm-hmm. Um, played around with less so. Um, infrastructure also kind of doesn't interest me. Like, there's kind of the sweet spot of like, yeah, I like the back end. I think that's great. Web requests are pretty cool. Those those are nice. Um, I don't really want to maintain servers, mm-hmm. uh, and that, that, that part, like the DevOps stuff, doesn't really get me excited. Mm-hmm. So I've I've avoided the front and I've avoided like the the deep back, I guess. <laughs> the deep back, awesome. <laughs> I've never had it called that before, but the uh, yeah, the deep back. I'm now going to call it deep back now. <laughs> okay, you hear you heard it here first. <laughs> so you also do speaking, which is, and I've seen your talks, and they they are some of them, and they they're awesome. They're awesome. You did a, a really awesome one uh, at RubyConf which I, I saw on YouTube uh, the other evening. And uh, you, uh, you, you got people to sing happy birthday to one of, the, uh, one of the attendees, which I thought was brilliant. Can you talk about how you got into um, talking and, uh, and, and mm-hmm. how you got to that point in, you know, how to motivate people? That was really, really good. Oh, thank you. Um, I, I guess I've always kind of been a bit of a ham. Like I <laughs> like performing. Uh-huh. And so I, I have done... I've been a singer for for most of my life, so I've been performing on stage mm-hmm. uh, from a from a very young age, and I've always enjoyed it. It's fun to be. I find it fun to be up there and and to be sort of in command of the audience and the center of attention. I've, I've always enjoyed that. So, uh, speaking uh, like technical 
to technical audiences was just kind of like the latest uh, implementation of that for me, mm-hmm. where I was like, oh, hey, in this tech field, there are uh, conference talk conferences, and then people have to give up and give talks, and like, I want to do that. That seems fun. Mm. And so um, I got into it actually at RailsConf was my first uh, technical talk. Uh, and I just, uh, I tried it and I loved it and I've been doing it ever since. Awesome. Awesome. So how, how long have you been talking for? Um, that Rails talk was probably in 2007 or so. Okay, cool. Give or cool. take a couple of years. Yeah. So 13 years maybe. Nice, 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 nice. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to pick your brains after this show about speaking and stuff like that because I've got some questions because I would like to uh, do some more speaking <laughs> Uh, you can do it on the show if you want to. This is one of my favorite <laughs> topics, actually. Is it? Oh, a lot of thoughts on this. Yeah. So, okay. So, um, l- let's talk a little bit about speaking. How did you get? How did you? How did you get involved in in actual going to conferences? You said that you you've done speaking before. Uh, you know, before technical stuff. Was it like a smooth transition for you? I hadn't done speaking before um the technical stuff i had done performing mm-hmm. uh, but it turns out they're very similar actually right so i think people often think of technical talks as like um an opportunity to convey information and i think of them kind of as an opportunity to convey information but mostly as a performance okay well because yeah so the so the reality is when you're giving a talk particularly at a technical conference your competition is everyone's laptop so everyone has a like a laptop or a device or something in front of them, which means your job, your first job, is to be more interesting than the internet is. And that's a tall order, mm-hmm. but it's worth, I think, sort of thinking of it that way. Mm-hmm. Because people that are tuned out or people that are bored don't learn anything. Right. So it's not, it's not enough to just be entertaining and interesting. Like that wouldn't be, like that's just like eating candy the whole time. You do want to, you know, hopefully teach something useful. Mm-hmm. But it's a prerequisite. Mm-hmm. If you lose the audience, you're, it doesn't matter what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So you have to figure out a way to, to, to give your talk in a fashion that is going to keep people engaged. Okay. Yeah. I see. I see. So you're, you're, I, I see how you've, you've, you've drawn a parallel between the entertaining, the singer, um, and, and keeping people engaged. Uh, the talks that I saw that you gave they were very dynamic. You had people coming up on the stage. Um, you, you, you even did exercises during the talk, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you didn't allow the audience the opportunity of, of being distracted by something else because you were so, it was such a, um, a, a, a an engaging thing that you were doing, you know? Um, and also really interesting Interestingly, you you also were talking about how uh, you sort of almost fed people information before the talk. So, like um, the signs that you had outside, you know, mm. and, and your your introduction that was nice and snappy, you know, had the hook. Mm. All of those kind mm-hmm. of things. How did you learn? How did you learn all of that? Uh, a lot of it was just practice. So that that the RailsConf talk you're talking about mm. is kind of. I think kind of my magnum opus in terms of like giving a conference talk. Right. It, it really rolled together what I had learned over like many years of doing it by right. that point. Um, this, that's the how to talk to developers talk. It's by far the one I get the most compliments on. Like it's still circulating around the internet and people talk like will DM me or email me about that still. 
mm-hmm. uh, which is, by the way, one one great thing about speaking at conferences is it's often a one-time investment for like you know many thousands of future views, which is wonderful. That's true. Um, so yeah, so a lot of it just came from doing it and seeing what worked and what didn't, okay. like most things in life, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, yeah, I had a bit of a head start. Like every like when you're performing art, like music or dance or whatever you're doing there's sort of this inherent like thing you the performers are thinking about i think which is like is this entertaining mm-hmm. is this good mm-hmm. is it worth the ticket price like we have to keep you know like the audience is there to, to be entertained mm-hmm. and for some reason people giving conference talks don't really think that way which i get like they think oh this is a technical conference i'm here to you know read my documentation to people <laughs> or something um but they, they think you know that the, the education is the is the main mission and they kind of forget that like there's still humans out there and you have to get them paying attention that's true that's true. Um, I, I was I was surprised. Well, I guess surprised. It just shows my my lack of knowledge in the in the subject. But I was interested with the parallels between the things that you were saying and actually how I uh, script and produce YouTube videos because that is mm. a performance, and yet you're still talking about a technical thing. However, mm. when I do a, a a talk at user groups, I don't have that mentality because I'm actually seeing people rather than a camera. Um, so I, I think personally, that's the hurdle that I have to get over. Um, mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> and also, yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> on YouTube, I'll watch your videos at like one and a half X. Like I watch most of my videos accelerated. That's true. Uh, so yeah. I, would, I would argue almost that the bar is, is it's a bit easier almost on YouTube because I can, I can at least speed you up if I find that the thing <laughs> to not be moving on fast enough. But in person, I'm like, all right, when is it going to get to the next thing? I'm bored with this particular point. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And also uh, with YouTube, you can watch your stuff back again and then perfect it next yes. time. Whereas then, yeah, when, when you're giving it, a talk, cut. it's a one-time deal, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let, let, let's talk a little bit about how you, how you uh, progressed into the, uh, the tuple uh, application that you're, mm-hmm. that you've got. Um, first of all, let's, uh, it's, it's about pair programming. Let's talk about what pair programming is. So are you able to define what that is to someone who hasn't used pair programming before? Uh, sure. Pair programming is kind of just a fancy word for writing code together collaboratively. <laughs> uh, so if, uh, like, let's say you had more experience on something mm-hmm. or I was working on a particularly tricky bit of code, I might be like, hey, Peter, can you pull your chair over here and, like, give me a second set of eyes on this? Mm-hmm. And you'd be like, sure. And you would roll over and I would be writing code. You'd be like, oh, no, no, you want the that other function. This one doesn't do with what you think. It actually does this. Like, that's us paraprogramming. Okay. That's it. It's not, it's not intimidating. It doesn't have to be fancy. It's just it's two programmers working uh, at the same time on something. So that there isn't like an official sort of term as to what pair programming is, as in a a proper definition of a programmer must write one line and then another programmer writes another line and so on and so forth. I mean, I don't, I don't know who maintains official definitions of programming terms, but I'm going to say that no, there's probably not an official definition like that. There are certain uh, pair programming techniques that encourage to have like um, guidelines like that. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, so one thing that I have done. with some success before is uh, ping pong TDD pair programming. Okay. So this would be like you and I are writing code together. I'm going to write a test. And then when the test starts failing, you write the implementation until the test passes. And then you write a failing test and then I write the code to make it pass. Ah. So this way we're sort of, we've got this like switching off built in and it's never a question of like whose turn is it to like actually type now. 
Right. But that's that's a very uh, formalized version of pairing. Like that's sort of like expert level, you know, you want some stru- structure or not even expert level, but that's like that's just one option. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do it that way. You don't have to use TDD to pair. That's just like one approach of many. How did you get into pair programming? Um, pair programming was the turning point for me in terms of my education as a developer. It was actually ex- like extremely important. So the first, like the, I had an entry level programming job. Mm-hmm. It was terrible. I almost got fired because I was so demotivated. Uh, fortunately, I was teaching myself Ruby on the side, and I got, I landed a Ruby on Rails job, mm-hmm. and. It was, this was like my, instantly I was like, first of all, making twice as much money, which is great. Um, but then I landed on this very small team and um, I was working with one other person and then my boss. So it's just, just three of us. And uh, I spent most of the first six to eight months at that job pairing with my boss every day. Right. And um, because at this point I had like a little bit, a tiny bit of Ruby and Rails knowledge, but almost, you know, not nearly enough to be productive. Mm-hmm. And so he basically leveled me up with pairing every day. And the speed at which I got uh, good and productive was incredible. And so it was a, it was very formative for me. That's really interesting the way you, yeah. Cause uh, having the, 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 being new to a language and then being exposed to the the pair programming sort of world that's you don't i don't often hear developers have those two things together it's usually you know pair programming is is usually something that you know seniors would do or what have you um or maybe no maybe that's wrong maybe seniors would take on a junior to do pair programming to bring them up i suppose sure um yeah. that's probably yeah, I mean that's one that's one great use of it, mm. and it works incredibly. I, I don't actually think so. If someone were like, "What's the fastest way to get better at programming?" I would say pair regularly with someone better than you. Right. I, yeah. I don't actually think there's a higher uh, learning per hour move than right. sitting next to someone that knows what's up and learning from them. That's very true. That's yeah. very true. Um, it, it. So I'll put my hand up and say I've never actually done like the 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 strict pair programming the 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 pong stuff as you mentioned um yeah. however i have obviously turned my chair around and tapped someone on the shoulder and said can you have a look at this please but i've never really sort of uh labeled that as pair program pair programming it's more sort of like just asking for help but i suppose that essentially is it isn't it yeah i mean if there's a pair of you and you're programming in my book <laughs> Doing it. <laughs> that's very true that's very true the, the difference is basically like are we looking at the same thing mm-hmm. like are, are you and i both focused on the same browser code terminal mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. then we're pairing if we're doing separate stuff then that, i mean if i'm just sitting next to you but we're doing different things we're not pairing it's about like focus to mm-hmm. um so yeah so you're you're in the you're in the ranks you i mean hey awesome um so I mean, I, I've, I've mentioned probably a bit of my naivety when it comes to these kind of things. What are the biggest misconceptions that you, you're aware of with pair programming? Hmm. Um, well, I mean, I, I think we've already bumped into one of them, which is that it's a very formal thing and mm-hmm. like you, you haven't done it yet or it's, it's something scary and intimidating and, or special or weird or advanced 
it's it's sort of none of those things. It's it's what everyone, it's how humans have been learning for thousands of years, which is people working together collaboratively, mm-hmm. like a journeyman blacksmith and uh, the master blacksmith, like working together on like a thing, like this just like this apprenticeship. It's almost like an apprenticeship type model that's mm. just been around forever, yeah. and it, it has persisted because it works really well. Um, so, so one is that's sort of a, one big misconception is like you should be scared of it. Mm-hmm. It's a fancy topic. It has a fancy name. It's it's scary. The other is that uh, pair programming is a sacrifice of productivity. So it's, it seems like if you take two people and you have them working on the same thing rather than two things, mm-hmm. it should they should go half as fast. Um, in my experience, that's not actually true in the experience of a lot of people. Uh, it turns out that um, two people together are, I think, probably not quite twice as fast, but probably somewhere close to it over okay. the long haul. So... I think you tend to produce much better code because you have this two heads are better than one situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you tend to produce code at a higher level of quality because there's some social pressure to do so. Yeah. Like you're not going to write the crappy version because you're sitting right next to someone. And you're like, I know I shouldn't do it this way. Sure. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's also way harder to get blocked. Like it's much harder to block two people than one. So it's easy to spend a lot of time as a single person not making any progress. Mm. Um, yeah. And it's also uh, harder to go down the wrong path. Like when there's someone, when, when you're typing and you're really hyper-focused, it's easy to kind of not notice that like you're doing the wrong thing or you're solving the wrong problem or you're on the wrong page or whatever. But when you have uh, another person there that's sitting there that doesn't have the burden of typing, they can go, wait a minute, aren't we trying to actually fix this other bug? You're like, oh yeah, that's right. Totally, you, yeah, you totally saved me some time. Mm. Um, so I, I find that the overall productivity of a pair is substantially higher than than one person. Right. Um, yeah. And so you still might say, okay, well, if you're not twice as fast, you're still losing time. Um, but I would argue that what really slows down development over time is uh, subpar code. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that really makes a project slower in year two than year one mm-hmm. is how much code you've written that's not great. And the sort of inertia that that provides every time you want to make a change, you're interacting with this older, not so great code. And so if instead you can write less code, better code, tighter code, easier to change code, your project shipping speed can stay high. And I think your best bet at doing that is um, code written in pairs. Not all the time, but, you know, from mm. time to time. Oh, I dig that. I really do. Um, I really like the point that you made about, you know, uh, writing code that is more cleaner because, you know, you're sat next to another dev. So you have that social pressure. Um, you know, you, you don't want to be writing messy code in front of someone else uh, because you're, you're, you're constantly trying to level each other up, which, uh, which is cool. And also the buy-in as well. It's, it's the, um, when you're not pair programming, I suppose you have to tell people after the fact that you've written yes. code that, you, yes. you know, it's, the functions called this now and all of this stuff. So I guess refactoring uh, is done at a different stage or, or could be done at a different stage because you're, yes. you're often refactoring on the fly because you're having the discussion at the time of writing the code rather than after the code is written. Yes. You made two, two great points there that I want to just like hammer home because sure. they're huge. So, so one is if you write code by yourself, and then hand it over to someone for review. First of all, it's hard, right? Like doing good pull, like code review is, is a, a burden, mm-hmm. I would say. It's hard to take a pile of code and load it all in your head. 
mm-hmm. figure out how it used to work and how it's changing and what that impacts and all this. Mm-hmm. So you've, you're giving a very challenging task to your reviewer. And then there's also this um, pressure that the existing code exerts, which is if you hand me a pull request that has a thousand changes in it, and I'm like, you know what? I actually think this approach is actually just wrong. Like, I, I really wish you hadn't done it this way. I wish you'd done it that way. Am I going to be like, I don't think we should merge this. You should start back over from scratch and do it this way instead? Mm-hmm. Maybe, but it's going to be kind of hard. It's going to cost me some social capital to do that, right? That's mm. going to be no, not, not fun for me and not fun for you. Whereas if we had sat down together and one of us was just thinking about, okay, what's the best way to accomplish this? Mm. It might be that you you would have started with that a better approach mm. from the beginning. Yeah. So I think that's that's a that's a big win. Code review after the fact is just kind of has some downsides for sure. Um, and then you also said this, which which is that there's there's learning going on during the session. So I don't I don't actually think there's a like the you're picking up so much information while you're pairing with someone, even if you have the same skill level, mm-hmm. you're gonna you have different bits of knowledge. Like maybe I'm great at SQL and you're great at this templating language or JavaScript or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so like slowly, like the strengths of each of us are like being uh, transmitted to the other Mm -hmm. or it's like, Oh wow, what was that shortcut you used? That was really interesting. Or what's that shell script you have? And and like we can sort of trade good ideas during the session. Yeah. 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 I like that. Yeah. It's because everybody codes differently. You know, they they may even have different, um, you know, versions of IDEs or what have you. They may have different Mm -hmm. aliases in their bash uh, RC file, you know, all sorts of things that aren't necessarily directly involved in the actual writing of the code, but in the way they've set up their environment. And if, if the other person could, can, can uh, utilize that, then that would be, you know, that's, that's bringing them up as a better developer Mm -hmm. in general for the next things. So I guess the, the question of whether or not pair programming is efficient, um, you need to take into account that it's efficient, um, in the long term. It might not be so efficient right now, but in the long term, everybody's going to win. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And it's nuanced, right? There's just a lot of factors there. So it's easy to look at this and say, Oh, you're only going to get half as much done. It's like, well, there's a lot of things that go into how much gets done over mm. the year as opposed to, you know, this week. Yeah. And clearly that's what you care about, right? Like almost 99 times out of 100, what matters is what we get done over the long term, not just like, can we hit this one deadline this week? That's true. Yeah. And in, in my experience, when I'm, I'm with other devs, they're also working perhaps on the same code base, but they have a different project that they're going to do after this. And so they're, mm-hmm. they're thinking ahead um, and, you know, they're, they're seeing if they can perhaps slot some bits and pieces in whilst they're doing this other thing um, that will help them going forward. Um, and again, it's that having that, the, 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 the working together rather than the code review after the fact, because then mm-hmm. that developer who is going to move on to another project would then have to pick up, what the other developer did previously and then see if he can work that through into his new project rather than have a, almost like a roadmap sort of approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, um, this is a very interesting topic. I, I, I'm, I'm, it's, a uh, it's making me think about the efficiencies of working in teams. Um, mm-hmm. and the, the amount of time we waste by not actually talking 
um, is is huge. So, so you have developed this this uh, tool called Tuple, um, which utilizes or helps uh, people or programmers do some pairing. Um, mm-hmm. How did you come up with the name Tuple? <laughs> um, I'll answer that, but I do want to just take one second, just yeah. to, before we kind of put the the pairing idea um, down for a second. I do want to just stress something, which is that you don't have to do it all the time, and it mm-hmm. doesn't have to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. So if like if these be- if you if you're interested in trying it out, if these benefits sound appealing, if you your your curiosity has been piqued at all, tr- try it a little bit. Like I, I actually don't advocate for pairing 100% of the time or even close to that. Mm. Uh, like you can do a little tiny bit of this. You can just and you don't even have to call it pairing. You just be like, hey Peter, can you take a look at this with me? Yeah. And then you spend 10 minutes looking at something together, and then you, you'll probably learn something on the, along the way, and some knowledge will have been shared, and the code will be a little bit better. And you say, cool, thanks. And yeah. then you, you move on. And maybe if you want, you make it more regular or more you know, longer or more formalized, but you can start totally small, mm-hmm. totally low committal. Uh, I'm not here as like a pairing evangelist. Um, it's, it's a nice tool to have in the toolbox, so it's good to try it out, uh, but just you can be totally pragmatic about it. Mm. You made a go- good point there about it doesn't have to be called pair programming. I mean, I've, yeah, I, in all the years of development, I've never called it pair programming. But after talking about this, I realized that I've actually done pair programming. I just haven't yeah. called it pair program. It's, you know, yep. it's just, at, it boils down to someone looking over your code and working together, um, solving a problem, which yep. is what yep. we do anyway. <laughs> Yeah, and, and the word I think intimidates people or it comes yeah. with baggage. Yeah. So, you know, don't even don't even use it. Don't even say, Hey, do you want to pair tomorrow? Just be like just just keep it more informal than that. I think it'll is is a great way to ease your way in. Very good point. But, yeah. Yeah. But as so as for Tuple. Um yes. So uh the name Tuple so so Tuple is an app to do remote pair programming. Mm-hmm. So all those benefits of writing code, but sometimes you're not sitting next to each other physically. Mm-hmm. So what then? Well, uh, use something like Tuple, which is basically screen sharing with remote control, so that it's like you and I are sitting next to each other. We're looking at the same monitor, but we don't have to actually be sitting next to each other. Um, the name Tuple uh, came to it was actually suggested by a former coworker after about three seconds of consideration, and uh, we call it Tuple because uh, Tuple basically takes two programmers and, and makes them one. <laughs> and a tuple is a data structure that combines, you know, multiple elements into one thing unless you treat them as one unit. So uh, it just kind of worked nicely. Mm. Uh, it was short. And also tu- tuple kind of sounds like two people. Mm. So when I'm describing it to civilians, I have an alternate explanation that even makes sense to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I when I saw it, I thought how clever that was because I I, I just didn't think about the tuple in the programming sense. I just thought two people. Tuple, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, the shorthand of people is PLE. So I just, yeah, two. I thought it was very clever. <laughs> and then nice. it was like, oh, yeah, that's actually a programming thing. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. It's nice that it works on multiple levels. You know, I tried actually for weeks to come up with a better name because I pictured like normal people not really getting it and having to spell it for everyone all the time and uh, people calling it tuple versus tuple, either is correct, by the way, or like spelling it with two Ps or you know, just like, I, is there something better? And we just tried and tried. And we, this was just the best we could come up with. So eventually we surrendered and called it tuple. Nice, nice. So how how long has it been going for? Um, we 
actually, so we, we launched to our first users about a year ago uh, today. Cool. Today. So we've been, oh, wow. Happy I mean, I mean birthday. plus or minus a few days, but you know, <laughs> it was, it was early January. Um, and so, uh, but we had been de- into development for about eight months before that launch. Right. Right. Are you, are you able to talk about the development of, of it? You know, what kind of languages sure. you used and, and so forth? Yeah. Now, um, so I have two co-founders, Spencer and Joel, and Spencer and Joel actually uh, wrote the majority of the code for the product. Mm-hmm. So I'm the CEO, so I'm responsible for um, sales and marketing. So that is where a lot of my effort has gone. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm fairly familiar with the technical side of the app, so I can I can talk to, about it some. Um, the app has kind of a crazy amount of language in it. So we built a number of prototypes during development, trying to figure out what the architecture should be for it. Mm. Um the tricky part about our app is that it uh, is real-time. So uh, if there's uh, an extra 200 milliseconds of latency between when you type and when it shows up on the screen and then it gets rendered back to you, mm-hmm. it feels terrible. So we have really high latency uh, sensitivity. So um, we tried a couple different things that would have made it nice from a high-level language development perspective, mm-hmm. but we couldn't come up with anything that was fast enough. Until we decided, okay, we're going to make a fully native um, Mac app, desktop app, and we're going to write it the 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 bulk of it in C plus mm-hmm. nice. um, And that was <laughs> tricky mm, because the three of us are all web developers. Like, <laughs> so it was like, okay, we're we're going from you know fairly low performance requirements, um, you know, stateless kind of protocol over HTTP, mm-hmm. um, using high level languages to real time. Multi-threaded uh, C++ desktop app. Wow! Wow! Yeah, uh, that that must have been a, a big hill to climb. I think it was. I'm glad I didn't have to personally climb it. <laughs> uh, so, I'm impressed uh, by my co-founder's ability to to, to jump on that and, and get it done. Wonderful! Wonderful! Um, and uh, in terms of like um, uh, resolutions and stuff, how, you know, what, what kind of things do you cater for in terms of, you know, can you, can you upscale? Can you downscale? Um, yeah, that was actually something that we built fairly early on that we really liked or that, that I'm, I'm very proud of is that you can, you can adjust the stream resolution mm. on the fly during a call. Nice. So sometimes you're on a, like, sometimes you're on a call with great bandwidth mm-hmm. and, uh, you can crank it all all the way up to what we call ludicrous mode, which we ripped <laughs> off some, from Tesla, uh, who ripped it off from Spaceballs, but whatever. Um, so ludicrous mode is basically 4K level uh, resolution. Uh, so it's like even if you have a crazy retina monitor, uh, you can just pump a ton of pixels over the wire, mm. and it looks super sharp, super clear, which is something that we care about because it's a pairing app. So we figure you're staring mostly at probably you know s- small text in mm. a terminal. So we we knew that resolution was super important. Uh, that's one thing that people often prefer us for is just like the clarity of the text because mm-hmm. this is something that we're we're optimizing for. Um, but sometimes you can't quite sometimes like your computer's too slow or your network is too slow, and so you can't quite push that many pixels through it. So we let the the person on the receiving end, the person who's seen the remote machine, uh, dial at that up or down based on like where they want to optimize for. Do you want to optimize for latency or do you want to optimize for like a beautiful high resolution? Nice, nice. Uh, could you could you talk about the the the, the other features that uh, Tuple has? You know, in terms of um, the the code sharing and the how one can can change code from another person's machine. How does that 
Um, yeah, so so we, we built our goal was to build. So we have a number of like modes in the app, mm. but the goal was to make it feel as much as possible like you're on someone's machine, like you're just controlling a machine that happens to be far away, but as far as you can tell, it's not. Mm-hmm. So we support like full keyboard stuff. So like any key stri- any any key combination you can type, we will send over to the remote wire. You can do command tab, which was actually a surprisingly hard technical lift, but hey, we've got it. Um, uh, and we also have um, a couple pretty intelligent mouse modes that make that do some sort of um, shenanigans, I guess, or sort of hacks and whatnot to sort of make the latency appear lower than it is, <laughs> to make it feel like you you have a local mouse on someone's remote machine. Uh, but the the thing, if you if you start a tuple call and you full screen it, uh, you it feels pretty much like you're using your machine more or less. You know, every so often you get a little like, okay, I can tell that wasn't quite local. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes latency, there's latency spikes on the internet. Sometimes we just can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the, the goal is to get as close as possible to feeling sort of seamless and, and invisible. Right, right, awesome. Um, and what's the what's the um, the the feeling out there in terms of your users? Are they are they uh, happy with it? Is it is it something that uh, people are using you know regularly? Yeah, it is actually. Um, our, we have our people are doing about 2000 pairing sessions a week right now. No way. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's over a, a few thousand users. Um, we have, we're up into you know, hundreds of customers, thousands of users. Um, and it's, yeah, overall, like our, our, we ask people after their calls, like for a quality rating mm-hmm. uh, and our, mm-hmm. our call quality rating is usually around a 4.4 to 4.5 out oh, of five. Brilliant. Most weeks. So people are like our, our most common rating is a five. Like people are, are mostly having good good success with it. And then some people use it like all day, every day. Like it's, we have some some kind of crazy hardcore users in there. Yeah, I, I can see how this could benefit people who are actually still, you know, in the same office. They just want yes. to do a pair program and see the other person's screen without actually, you know, moving desks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, sometimes ergonomically it's just not... Yeah. convenient or possible to, to cram two people in front of the same monitor so even if you were sitting a few seats apart you might want to use it and the, and the nice thing is like tuple is uh, we establish a peer-to-peer connection mm-hmm. so uh, if you are on the same network your traffic doesn't go anywhere it stays on the lan and so it's like it's even snappier which is just awesome in terms of um uh sharing one screen does that are you hosting that? Is that being put somewhere like centralized and then distributed to the next person? Or is it just, is it from one machine to another machine without any middle? Yep. It's the latter. Sweet. It's directly peer to peer. We, we basically, there's logic for finding the, what we, the shortest path between yeah. the two. Peers. Yeah. So yeah, once we, we sort of broker the initial connection. Mm-hmm. So we, we provide a list of, okay, who's online. And then we, we connect the two peers initially, but then the peers then negotiate between the two of them how are we going to establish this connection? Mm-hmm. And that cuts us out of the loop. We don't, we're not in anymore. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, are, are you able to talk about upcoming features of, of Tuple? Kind of. Yeah. Um, the, the funny thing is that our upcoming feature, we're actually not planning upcoming features right now. Mm-hmm. So uh, the thing that we're focused on this quarter is actually reliability. Right. So we have, we've slowly, we've added features over time. Like, um, Audio only calls are recent, like so you can start with just talking and then then add a desktop share, like a screen share, and then you can add a webcam, like that. All that stuff is now sort of piecemeal. Mm-hmm. And um, over time, we've kind of expanded the complexity surface area of the app. Mm-hmm. And so we stepped back and talked to our customers, and um, the takeaway we had was it's mostly doing what everyone wants. 
there's not like a there's not a lot of features that everyone's asking for. Mm-hmm. But um, we're not quite as reliable as we want to be. Okay. Cool. We, our, our goal is to make the app kind of invisible. Like it should be boring infrastructure, like Wi-Fi or something. Like it should just like better than Wi-Fi. Let's say. Like we want it to just <laughs> always work, not be flaky, not need to be restarted. You know, I don't, just don't think about it ideally. Like hopefully I, it just kind of fades away. I guess. Yeah. I guess it it kind of like gets invisible after a while, doesn't it? It's, it's, it becomes That's, natural. You know, I'm just going to spin up this tuple session with my mm-hmm. colleague who happens mm-hmm. to be across the pond. Um, and if it's seamless, then that's, that's the win, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and we've actually worked pretty hard to, to have no persistent UI Chrome. Right. So like when I'm sharing my screen, there's a, like the, it's a toolbar. We have it in the, the menu bar up at mm-hmm. the top of the screen, mm-hmm. kind of like where like your Wi-Fi icon would be. Uh, and that will turn red. And other than that, there's nothing on your screen. That always drove me crazy with Zoom, which is like there's like this undismissible UI Chrome that I just have to have on there. Like, go away. I hate you. <laughs> and so um, it's it really is pretty seamless. Uh, people actually will sometimes complain to us that like it's too subtle mm-hmm. when a screen share has started. Like they actually want more of a visual indication like, hey, you started sharing your screen because we have like, I guess, maybe too effectively uh, hidden the the UI. Right, right. Do you mind if we just... just t- uh- take a step back and talk about how you um how you came up with the idea and what and what motivates you to to con- you know to, to do it because thinking back to what you were talking about the challenges that you faced uh especially with mm-hmm. the, the languages and the latency what was the driving force of of actually getting this to first release um so the experience i had was there used to be this app called screen hero right which um did what tuple does but uh slack bought it and uh kind of messed it up and shut it down was kind of their <laughs> the playbook there it was one of those unfortunate silicon valley things where it just kind of everyone just kind of got screwed i guess mm. <laughs> and we're like it just it just didn't work out the way they hoped it would and and so they never really integrated it into the main product and they didn't want to maintain the old product, so they shut it down, and it was just kind of like just just kind of like a loss for the world, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So R.I.P. Screen Hero. Uh, but uh, years went by, and I had been a Screen Hero fan and user, and a lot of my friends had as well. And then eventually they started shutting it down, and I was like, "What are you using now?" And no one had a good answer. Mm-hmm. And it felt to me like it seems like there's an opportunity here. Like surely if you could make something like that again, it seems like there still would be people that would want this. Mm. And we actually uh, reached out to one of the co-founders of Screen Hero and we did a call with him. He was very generously agreed to talk to us. And I just said like, do you think this is still an opportunity? And he was like, yeah, I totally do. And I was like, wow, okay. And so eventually I just kind of came to the conclusion like I can't not take a shot at this. Like, mm. I, ha- I, have to, I have to try this. Mm. And so... Um, Spencer and Joel agreed, and we all quit our jobs and and started the company. Oh wow, that's a story in itself. I mean, just just casually dropping in there that you both you all quit your jobs and <laughs> did it. I mean, what was the? Um, uh, surely it didn't just happen like that. You know, you, you didn't just say, "Oh, let's just quit jobs and 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 do something else." What was the? What was the the plan of attack? How did you get from? you know, that conversation to, to, to mocking something up and spending time and energy and effort. 
So um, I had a list of ideas in a, in a notes uh, in a note on my phone of like possible business ideas. And mm-hmm. I used to go to Joel's house and like throw them out there and we just kind of talk through them because he was kind of getting itchy at his job and I was not really enjoying my job. And so um, we were looking for something and the screen hero replacement idea was like the best one we came up with. Right. And so we were, we were like, we kept talking about it and kept talking about it. And it was like, this kind of seems like the best idea here. And then we had that conversation with the co-founder and he said yes. And I was like, okay, I feel like now we're kind of on the, on the track. Uh, Spencer joined the picture around then mm-hmm. um, kind of by luck. He would just like message Joel out of the blue. I was like, Hey, I just quit my job. Like, what are you up to right now? <laughs> he was like, that's interesting. Um, All right. And then so the, Pretty much we, we had a couple chats and we found that we sort of made sure we're all philosophically on board with like building the same kind of company, had the same kind of goals, mm-hmm. uh, knew each other well enough and felt compatible enough. And then, um, yeah, I just, just started, we all just sort of quit and, uh, That's and started working on it. That's yeah. brilliant. That's really, really cool. I, I like, I love that. That's, um, you, you, you all had a, a common, common goal and, and, mm. and grabbed it and ran with it. That's, uh, that's yeah. fantastic. Um, did, w- was any, uh, anyone doing another job whilst this was going, whilst this was happening or were you able to nope. just focus solely on this? We all went full time on this. Um, fortunately, so, so none of us have children. Uh, Joel is married, but that's it. Um, the other, Spencer and I are single. And so we all, and we all had like pretty decent amount of savings. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we sort of all, disclose that we could, that we could probably all, all go about a year mm-hmm. without making any money and, and then be all right. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of where the, the timer was. We're like, okay, we've got about a year. Like, let's, let's see what we can do. That's a very gutsy um, move. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, I mean, it was sort of was, I mean, it felt, it honestly felt like kind of low risk to me at the time, to be honest. Um, I, as you know, programmers with experience, mm-hmm. it was like, okay, if this really blows up, we can go get jobs. Like we won't be starving. Um, and if we get close to success, but don't have quite enough money, maybe we can raise a small amount from friends and family. Um, that kind of thing. Maybe find an angel investor. Like we were, I felt pretty sure that like, uh, if we were on the right track, money wouldn't be a, the the thing that would sink us. Mm. And that if, and if, and if we really couldn't make it work, okay, I'll go get an, I'll go write, you know, Ruby somewhere else and probably won't be too hard to get, get employed again. Awesome. Thank you very much for your, um, your openness. That's, uh, that's a really fascinating story. That's, um, that's really cool. Uh, we've spoken a lot about tuple. How do people get it? What's, what's the, what's the link? Um, so it's tuple.app, T-U-P-L-E.app if you want. Uh, we do have a two week free trial, which is uh, new ish for us. We used to not do that, but now we do. Uh, and yeah, you can just sign up. Wonderful. Uh, well, I'd love to hear what you think. If you if you give it a shot, um, yeah. we're we're still just three people, and we still are um, hungry for feedback, and we love talking to customers. And because it's just three of us, like you, you're talking to a co-founder. So uh, sometimes people will like report a bug or like make a suggestion, and we'll ship it that afternoon. Mm-hmm. And like that's fun for us and fun for them. So um, if you like using tools that are still uh, being maintained by the people very close to them, as opposed to a faceless uh, big company that doesn't necessarily care about you as much. Uh, maybe check us out. Uh, Dev tools built by devs. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I'll leave links and, and, and stuff in the show notes below. Um, it's been great uh, speaking to you, Ben. Is there, is there anything that you wish to add before we wrap up? 
Um, one more thing. Um, mm-hmm. if, you, if the pairing stuff interested you, uh, I built uh, a, a pretty big uh, website, I guess is the word for it, <laughs> about pairing. Uh, it's got a lot of uh, articles and pointers to other resources and guides and whatnot uh, with all stuff I think is sort of good advice around the topic. And it's just at learntopair.com. Cool. Nice. Nice. And how do people reach you personally, if you don't mind people reaching you yeah. personally? Sure. Um, the best is probably Twitter. Um, I'm R00K on Twitter. Feel free to uh, just shoot me a message or DM or whatever. And that's that's probably the best. Wonderful. Wonderful. Now, there's, there's a question that I ask uh, everyone at the end of the show, and it's different this time, this, this season. And that is, if you can spend time learning something that isn't coding, what would you do and why? I guess I'm still I'm interested in in and still working on improving my singing. It's one of these things that like I've I've been doing for a long like probably 30 years now. Mm. But it's um it's an infinitely deep hobby in a way and you can always get better at various aspects of it. Um like sight reading in particular, like picking up a piece and being able to immediately sing it. So that's that's high on my list of of things I want more more coaching and advice on. What what kind of what kind of singing do you do? Uh, I sing uh, in a classical chorus in Boston. Wow! How long have you been doing music. that for? This particular chorus I've been doing for a little over a year, um, singing in general forever, as far as I can remember. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, thank you ever so much, Ben, for coming on. I, I really do appreciate it and, and talking about Tupol and, and your coding background. It's been fascinating. Thank you ever My so pleasure. much. My pleasure. And thank you ever so much, everybody, for watching on the YouTubes and listening on the podcast. Happy coding, everyone. I'll see you again soon. Cheers. Bye.